1: On this week's episode, I have Paul Putera on as a guest. This isn't Paul's first time on the podcast, but he's always fun to listen to and dive deep into the weeds on his very in-depth style of scouting and hunting, which seems to always bring him success in some of the seemingly vast areas of the Northeast. Paul's already taken a couple of great bucks this year by dry ground tracking them back to their bedrooms and setting up close. In this episode, Paul and I talk a bit about some of those hunts, but also his overall process and how he tackles an area from the very front end on e-scouting and looking at it from the mapping perspective but also a year-over-year historical perspective. We spend a good bit of time on hills and how deer can shift even throughout the day and how to pick up that a buck is in an area without necessarily having photos or sightings and then how to systematically figure out where he's spending most of his time. Before we dive in, a quick message about Spartan Forge. The app is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. A huge feature is the Intel tab, which allows hunters to view the upcoming detailed forecast in an area, including temperature, pressure, wind, and moon data, but also provides the proprietary deer movement prediction algorithm. Instead of stating just whether or not it's going to be a good or bad day to hunt, the app predicts the type of movement most likely based on the conditions, whether it's core area movement, transition area, or full range daylight activity, all based on GPS collared deer studies. You can use that information then to help inform your hunt. The app also has a built-in journaling feature and a fully featured map, which you can use to e-scout and navigate in the field. Use the code DIY for a discount on a Spartan Forge membership. With that, let's dive into the episode.
0: What did you think of Pennsylvania?
1: Well, for the, the time I spent out there, I thought it was a pretty cool place. Um, most of the area that we looked at and that I walked was some of the flatter regions of the National Forest. Mm-hmm. And when i say flat maybe you know like 100 foot elevation gain 150 foot gradu- more gradual sloping um and just kind of generally open hardwoods with some like beach growth and clear cuts that was like a pretty dominant you know tree type there was was beach uh, but then mm-hmm. there was also especially in the bottoms a lot of hemlock and some of the creek drainages so that that kind yep. of was like the overall habitat type that was there yeah i feel like
0: when when it's that set- that rolly terrain in Pennsylvania, I feel like they're down in those hemlocks most of the time.
1: That could very well be. And I did spend one day hunting down in the hemlocks when it was raining and sleeting and snowing one day. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. You get that low pressure drop and then get down low.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the thing about it was, it was like, you can kind of, you could look at a map and kind of get an idea, but it seemed like actually getting, Your boots on the ground and walking around uh, did a little bit more to actually try and tell yourself, okay, this, these two places might look exactly the same on a map, but this one has more deer sign. So I'm going to focus here. You know, it's just so vast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's totally different, different hunting, I'm guessing. Yeah. I felt like if I, if I was like intentionally going out there and was buying a tag and wanted to like basically invest a lot of time in a hunt like that, I would want to basically take like, you know, a, a solid two weeks to give myself, uh, to hopefully, yeah. you know, get it done. It, it'd be a really tough tag to try and fill over like even say four or five days, I would think. Yeah, definitely. It, if you could take like a two week trip, that would be the way to go. Cause it, it is, it's
0: those, it's not, there's not a ton of deer, you know, but there's, there's enough. Right. You know, but it's like, like to find a bigger buck, you're gonna have to work a little harder just to find one, you know. But once you understand, once you understand where they are in that kind of terrain, it gets a lot easier.
1: Yeah, well, even some of the like the steeper type country, I feel like in those areas, it's maybe a little bit easier to at least find a terrain feature that more or less could funnel the deer. But in the mm-hmm. rolling country, it's definitely tough because you know you might have what seems like a funnel-ish type area that a deer might use but it might be 200 yards wide. And so it you know it takes you that much yeah. more time not only to just lay eyes on a deer but have one within shooting range. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they might be walking through the funnel and you don't even know they're there. Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. But it was pretty fun. Yeah. I I really enjoyed it and it was fun being able to hang out with you know some of the people that were were also out there and Mhm. That's that's why I think I like the bottoms too when I'm hunting in that
0: when I'm always hunting down in those hemlocks and stuff cuz it does kind of choke down a little bit tighter there when they do funnel through it. Yeah. You get like you'll you'll find like a little tighter terrain pinch through there cuz they'll be like using the ditches and the drainages more going through there. So you, you get a little bit extra choke down on them. Right. You know, and if you get a like, real thick pine swamp or something and you find like a good opening opening in it or something or a little like just like a just like a clear path between two wet swamps and there's like a little drier section where it crosses a brook in that bottom or something those are usually awesome you know that's awesome spot to set up I, I love finding the places where they cross brooks you know you you find like a big you look on a map you look like for like a big beaver swamp or something down in there like where it's all grassy or something and then you just like find another section of swamp or like say like blueberry bog or something and just like a little narrow strip between them and it's sometimes those are like gold because they can they have to come from like miles away around and then they kind of all have to go through that one little point to get across the the brook yeah you know and that, that those can be killer because that's why I run my cameras on a lot of times. And I'm getting some awesome footage on my cameras when I was running my cameras this year up there. You know, that, that one spot where I had that, that pinch like that, I had probably 30 bucks go through that spot over the year so far since June. You know, and like once it got closer to November, it was pretty consistent on when they were slipping through there because they could, they, they could stay down in those dark swamps. And then they, when they wanted to cross over, they, they just go right through that
1: gap. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it just comes down to how do you hunt that thing effectively with the wind?
0: Yeah, well, what I figured out is because the, the one swamp was all wet, you know, and I'm like, well, he's not going to be crossing through the swamp. So the, it was kind of going like – uh I guess west to east, the the swamp. So I would set up with my back to the one side of the swamp and just blow my scent right into it. And if if I had more of a a wind coming more from the east direction, I would just get on the other side of the gap. So it was actually it was pretty good. I actually the way I could set up in that it was almost like it would work almost for every wind if I just kind of pied it out and just sat in different portions of it, you know. And then you get that that water heats up with the sunlight and it kind of has like that thermal draw out into that standing water behind you out in the beaver swamp. So you kind of almost always get a good thermal pull in there. Even if the wind's blowing a little off, it kind of sucks it back.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: So as long as it's not like howling wind and like swirling, you're good to go. But if it's like five, six miles an hour, you can, you can pull it off pretty easily.
1: Yeah. So when you're, when you're in areas like that or areas that are, you know, closer to home in Jersey or or say areas that you're hunting in Ohio, are you pretty much using the same type of strategy when you're doing like your e-scouting and, and using apps or websites or whatever tools you're going to use to, to start laying out your, your process?
0: I start off, I'll, I'll,
1: like yeah, you know, I'll
0: look at the images and look for those kind of certain terrain features that I I've had success with in the past. And like I mean, they're not always uh, identical in different places, but you can kind of duplicate them. It's just different, different looking woods, but the same concept. Yeah, you know, because the deer, the deer are just they're programmed. You know, they're instinctual animals, so they're not. It's not like they're gonna vary too much from state to state on how they're going to act in a certain area. It's just, it's not going to be the same looking woods.
1: Yeah. It seems like a lot of times the things that'll, you know, that state to state variance sometimes, or even area to area variance will come down to the pressure. And if the areas are pressured the same, then area A might be equivalent to area B or, you know, if there's lack of pressure, they're going to move a certain way. But then, if one of those spots has got pressure from a certain place that's irregular, then that can definitely adjust those deer's uh, patterns. Uh, but that's one of those things mm-hmm. that's, that's hard to tell unless you're actually out there. Yeah, that's how you
0: always. Once you, you know, like you you mark a bunch of stuff you like, and then you got to physically go check it, you know, or at least not. You don't even have to go check the spot you want to get to. You just have to check the vicinity of the area. There's not deer sign. Near the road, walking in, you're probably not going to hit sign farther up the holler or, or whatever. You know what I mean, right? So it's like if it's not if it's not right there, you're, you no no sense walking three quarters of a mile back to find out it didn't get any better.
1: Do you ever find scenarios where maybe it does look dead for a little bit, but then you get past something, whether it's a, a barrier or maybe the the deer's range is like begins say half a mile from the road. And then it's like extends, you know, further beyond that. Do you ever find that scenario or, or for the most part are you? Most of the time I'm not because realistically
0: there's not that many places you can get that deep in anywhere around anywhere, even in big wood settings where you can't, you, you're going to have to be like talking, like going like 10, 12 miles off the road to, like, get into different patterns, you know? So it's, like, if it's not, if it's not, the sign isn't near the road, it's not going to be out in the center because it's only a little bit farther and you're on the other, onto the next road. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, so it's, like, it's, like, you almost, like, you just, like, like when I'm in Ohio, I just pretty much drive around and check, check hollers. You know, every time I... I'm just, I just drive, I creep down the road at like two miles an hour and I just look for trails coming, like, like runs coming across, you know, and that like out in Ohio, it's not like there's actual deer trails that there, there's not enough deer to do that. But like you're looking for just skid marks where the deer cut across on the leaves or something coming off a steep hill or something. You'll see where they're sliding on their butt coming down across the road or something, then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, there's deer cutting across here, and then you, like, you pull up the map and you look, at why are they crossing here? They're going from, they're probably going from point A to point B on these two sections, so then you kind of have an idea where they're going, and then you can go, then you then you can physically walk in and check it, and if you're not seeing the, the sign you want to see, then you just back out and keep going until you find something.
1: Um, you just got to find that,
0: find the big sign, you know, if you
1: want a big buck, that was sort of the what it was like in Pennsylvania, the place I was at. There wasn't really, there weren't really any deer trails anywhere because, like you said, it was, it was open enough and vast enough, and the terrain wasn't steep enough that they could just kind of, you know, meander and wander. And there's a lot of browse was yeah. a lot of the dominant food source. So you didn't, you you found you'd find buck sign, uh, and you'd find like transition areas within the woods where there might be like a rub line, um, or a congregation of scrapes. But yeah, there was never really any like trail, so to speak. Yeah, they just kind
0: of filter through areas. Yeah, lots of filtering. Even, that's the same, Ohio is the same way. They kind of filter through sections. You know, it doesn't choke down too much. Because they don't always necessarily go right up the bottom either. They'll go right up one ridge and down the next one and up the next one and down the next one. It's They do some funky stuff out there right that they're just kind of going they're taking the they're they're just going straight line to the to one one spot that are next you know they don't care about the hills I see I see that sometimes they'll just cut straight up and over something you're like why would that dude do that <laughs> you're like now we gotta follow them like, come come on you know why yeah. would you climb that hill but they do the same thing in the mountains around here too it's like you think he's gonna just run that upper one third and parallel down that ridge line perfect like it like everybody says but then that sucker just goes straight up and straight down you're like ah oh, all right if you look at the gps data too it shows that they do that if you look at their movement patterns you're like that sucker didn't follow nothing he just went he wanted to go from there to there and that's the way it went
1: yeah <laughs> that's a good point when you look at a, a set of gps study data from like a a, you know some sort of research institution and it's like man there's pins and points all over this place and there's like trends there's like little there's like obviously groupings of waypoints like pings and whatnot but it's like if the deer only traverse the habitat the way that you read about them doing it it's like you would just expect to see like you know these very discrete lines and it's not necessarily what you see No. Yeah, it's, you got to like
0: find like really, really, really bad terrain where it's so steep that they can't do it. Right you now. And then they'll, then they'll parallel it, you know, like you got a big, big section of bluffs or something. You're more likely to see them cut through that. Or if it's like stupid steep, they'll come straight up and down the drainages, you know, but otherwise it's like, they just don't, they're going to go from where they want to go to the next place they want to go. Yeah. It's, it's always funny watching deer do stuff like that. Cause they, they'll, you'll, you'll, you'll follow them and track them and they'll just take you for these walks where you're like, why? <laughs> like
1: uh. So let's, uh, let's transition a little bit into, I guess, talking about some of your strategies and methods for, I guess, tools that you're utilizing when you're not necessarily in the woods yet, you're, you're maybe doing some e-scouting uh, some of the things that you've, I guess, figured out little tricks of the trade, so to speak.
0: Well, I, I use with the Spartan forge, I'm using their, the winter data. They got those winter satellite images, which is like such a major thing. Cause it's so hard to find winter images like that. So I'm using, I'm using that. And I'm cause like, I'm looking for cover, especially like up here in Pennsylvania and sp- In New Jersey and stuff, I'm looking for that mountain laurel and those dark hemlocks. And I'm looking for the rhododendron swamps and stuff like that. So, when you're looking for that on a map with the satellite, it shows up real quick. You'll see that green patch that stays green all year. You know, so you'll find those green patches. And then you got that, that beautiful, you can see that beautiful transitional line with all the green. And there's your your line, and then you could take that, and and put that next to a really good uh, um, topographical map and see the terrain really really detailed between those two. You know, you could see those two, and then you could pick out like, okay, within this within this laurel patch, I have a defined ridge here. That's where the beds are going to be inside the laurel.
1: Is Laurel kind of like a, like a medium height, like shrubby type of a tree that has a lot of yeah, leaf cover? Yeah, it's
0: it's uh yeah it it stays green all year. It has like the big like waxy leaves. Okay. It, it grows like a lot. You find it a lot in like drainages and stuff like that, and like it grows a lot on like the northern slopes and stuff like the cooler side it, it, it basically it grows in really poor soil the stuff it's like it'll grow it grows in like bit, like solid rock half the time and
1: so it's it's, like, it's usually really thick right like
0: it's difficult to walk through a lot yeah. of times oh, you, it's like it's like impenetrable and you cannot get through it without making noise you know every it the, the sticks when they when you bend them they just snap they, they, it all sounds like you're walking through and snapping pencils or something. It's it's loud stuff. It's like it's it's almost similar to like walking through fragmites, I guess, in some way. You you, you walk through fragmites, you can hear somebody coming for 2 2 miles in fragmites. Yeah, you know, but it gives them that 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 cover. It give and it grows tall enough that they can get overhead cover. It's like it's it grows like between you normally find it between like knee high to like six, eight feet tall. Okay. It's like wall of stuff. And then like the deer there's sections of deer don't even like to push through it. You could you see where they had the fine trails going through it because they just,
1: they had no other way. It's,
0: you almost, you almost got to treat Laurel like cattails.
1: Do they relate to the edges of it more? Or do you see them just kind of having trails that go right through the the heart of it a lot of times?
0: If they, they if if it's going through the center of it, it's usually a well defined trail. But like there's there's the way it grows, it's like it's not always just solid wall. So like you'll go and you'll get openings and like open patches in it where the soil's a little better and there's like a diff, little different soil or something, you know, could be just like a sectional boulders or e- even that where it just can't grow at all. Uh-huh. And you'll it's like open patches and then the deer will kind of go from one opening to the next and kind of like push through it. And over years of doing it, they make a trail. But, but they'll, they'll follow the edges of it. I mean, that you almost get like, you'll get like points going into it. And it, it, if there's, like, a point going into it of, like, hardwoods,
1: mm-hmm. it's,
0: like, the same thing as a point going out into a marsh. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they'll they'll bed out in the end of that point in Laurel, and then they'll travel up the hardwood point going in. You know, so it's, like, the same kind of theory, like, if, like, like you get an island, a hardwood island out in the center of Laurel, if there's like a little point on the island, hardwoods going out into the laurel, the deer will kind of go out and bed on the, on the point. Yeah. So it's like you're hunting, it's like you're hunting a marsh, but in the mountains, but they still do it. They still bed very similar in it. You know, and the only difference is if they can find a high spot within the laurel, they like to get up in that so they can sit up over it and look through it.
1: Okay. Yeah. That so, makes sense. So
0: yeah, you get like a little knoll or something. The deer love to have a visual, you know, and that's usually when I find the buck bed, I usually find them more in like a little high spot where they'll just sit up on the knoll and like they can look, look all, all around them 360 degrees and see everything.
1: And and those areas, like you mentioned, are, are pretty easy to find. Will they be a different shade of green than like a hemlock? Or is it just all kind of the same shade of green? And you just have to use your judgment or go boots in the ground to figure out what's exactly growing there, whether it's hemlock or yeah. red pine or. or uh... You can't you can't hundred percent tell, you know. But you can look at some
0: places. Like if if you look at the if it's on like the northern side of a hill, it it could be laurel more likely because I see I just seem to find it growing more when it's for on the north side of hills. But I mean the hemlocks still growing there too. So you. within the laurel you usually have hemlocks going through it all over the place too you know so like that's a good place to find a bed too if you like if you see a lone hemlock out in a patch of laurel it's like guaranteed if you walk over there and check out that hemlock tree there's going to be beds under it you know because they get up under that hemlock tree and use the top of the tree as like an umbrella you know and they'll sit under there and they're protected from the elements but they're surrounded by laurels so nothing gets to them you know you can't you can't get in on a deer when they get in that stuff and you can't get them out either you know that's why i really focus on it in places in like pennsylvania and stuff because deer deer get in there and they can't get them out when they're doing deer drives you know so if you can't get them out during gun season to shoot them the odds of that deer surviving to become older deer is a lot better. You know, so it, it's it, it's basically it's the same same thing as a, a cattail swamp. It's the same kind of reasons, you know, they can't eat it. They don't they don't really prefer eating it or anything, but it's a spot to survive.
1: Yeah, that makes know? sense. And and that hemlock, if it's just all by itself, would you say it's less desirable because it's almost too open underneath?
0: they if there's if if you get a a
1: good bushy looking hemlock with
0: that's got overhanging limbs like six six eight feet high off the ground where a deer can just stand underneath it that's like that's like gold because it's it's like a little umbrella for them. Gotcha. Even even if you're out like in the open hardwood sections like we were talking in Pennsylvania, if you come across a hemlock on the side of a hill or something, it's always worth walking over and checking it. Like if you're looking for tracks or bedding or something, you'll walk over and you'll see that oh what, what deer laid underneath here. You'll find that's where you'll find those worn to dirt beds because they they just like that little overhead cam- canopy. You know if they if it's real open hardwoods, it's shade too. Yeah, you know so if they want to get out of the sun, they can kind of rotate around that tree all day and kind of sit sit in the shade or get back out in the sun to keep keep their temperature under control.
1: And I think even in the Midwest, we have some, some parallels for a a lot of the stuff that you have in the Northeast. I think like a good parallel for our laurel would be like buckthorn. And then we obviously have, we don't really have hemlocks where I'm at, but we have, we have pines, white pines and Mm -hmm. red pines. We have different kinds of spruces. We have tamaracks. And sometimes those tamaracks act kind of similar to, I think, what a hemlock would do because a lot of times you get to where they almost act as like a shade tree kind of but they don't the, the weird thing with them is they don't carry their their needles through the whole year. They yeah, drop they their needles. The um, so that's like I guess one difference, but especially like early in the year when they still have yep. those needles on. I mean at ground level, they almost always have like a big root ball system uh, even if you have like marsh around it. You got a little root ball system there and and uh Yep. Yeah, a lot of the, times you find beds on it. Yeah, and it creates that
0: that that proper wet wet marshy habitat for bedding. When you find those little pockets of them, you yeah. because we we get we got them around here too, the tamarack trees. And you'll get different groves of them. And there's usually usually you get the tamaracks mixed with some like pine or something going into them. I think I think the hemlocks are really preferred though up here because I think they have both chew on the, the, the pine needles on them and actually chew on the, the hemlocks. So they'll, they'll kind of browse on them later in the year.
1: When, when you, cause you mentioned earlier that you're looking for edge and cover, I guess, in relation to terrain features. So would you go as far to say, if you're looking at a map and, you're finding some great looking terrain features, but then you're looking at that winter image and you're like, there's no green here. It's probably just all mature hardwoods. Like are you probably not going to spend a whole lot of time investing and, and checking those areas out.
0: Yeah. I just walk right through them a lot of times. Okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to look for that little diversity in that bedding. Like, so if like, if you've got one, one bowl, that's all hardwood. You know, and there's no, none of that green growing in it. But then the next bowl over has got a nice laurel patch on like the northern side of the bowl. You know, you're like, okay, I better go check that one out because that one's probably going to have more, more room for them to bed around into it. And they'll have different overhead cover. You know, because when you, when you find these terrain features where these deer live there, you you almost, you almost got to think of it like, if you watch like the like mule deer bedding, you know like when people watch them glass and they're like they watch them how they shift around all day, you know the, the white-tailed deer is doing the same kind of thing, you know they're just you can't glass them in a hardwood forest and see that happening, but they're doing it all day long, you know so the when you find a, a section with enough features for them to do that,
1: it's gonna gonna be a better spot. And what I guess what features specifically do you oftentimes find those deer bedding in? Because I think a lot of times when we talk about terrain features, people gravitate towards either one like knobs uh, or fingers of ridges on on points where they'll find beds or they'll look at leeward slopes um, or they'll look at things like saddles or like ditch crossings or, or things like that. I guess what specifically do you look for in terms of when you're like looking for beds in that type of habitat?
0: When, when I'm looking for a mature buck bedding, I'm looking for a spot that has all those features within a close vicinity of each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. It's like, it's less, less monotonous looking system. So like you, you could, you got you'll have a point, you'll have a bowl, you know, you'll have a cluster, a hemlocks, You'll have a, a briar thicket on the, on the southern side where they got browse like when you find all that mixture where you could just have a buck get up in that little location he could just shift around all day long depending on wind direction whatever he wants to do and just get up and fart around all day
1: that's the spots where you're going to find the big bucks gotcha so just yeah. maximum diversity both from a, a cover standpoint which you can get that from the you know the wintertime aerial but also then the topography and, and ideally finding a mixture of both yep yep and train that gives them gives them
0: avail like sun exposure you know so they can get in and out of the sun freely they don't have to sit there and bake all day because if it's if it's a spot that that's going to be hot all day long they're not going to use it unless it's really cold out you know but if it's a spot where they can just like over 20, 30 yards and get into the shade again and be comfortable with the odds of them using it longer throughout the year is going to be better. So you're going to, it's going to go from like a buck bedding spot to a core buck
1: bedding area. So what I'm getting from you is you don't, you'll find an area with a lot of diversity like this and you're thinking, okay, like this, this spot has potential, this area I should say has potential. And then you go in and walk it on foot and then you see some of that confirmation sign. Maybe you find big tracks in a, um, you know, a wet area, or maybe you find a rub line or something that indicates, okay, there is big deer using this. But then it sounds yep. like you're not necessarily going through and like pinpointing there's going to be a bed right here or right here. Uh, more, more likely a buck is using this several acres as a core area and, and you got to figure it out kind of on the fly. But it'll move. He'll it, move around a lot. I'm to the point I almost don't even look for the beds.
0: Like I don't even go there and look for the beds. I just look for the right terrain to produce the beds, and then I'm
1: more focused on figuring out where they come in and out of it. So then, are you yeah. are, are you worried about like let let's say an evening set? You got a window where you think a deer's going to move X amount of distance he gets up from his bed and moves around. Are you kind of thinking about that sort of, of methodology when you're trying to pinpoint a buck for an afternoon sit where you're like, okay, well I need to be close enough. Are you kind of more anticipating that he's going to be just moving around generally? Like he might get up, move middle of the day. He might like, you don't necessarily, it's not like he's like glued in one spot all day and then he gets up and moves at night.
0: Yeah. He'll he'll shift around throughout the day. Like you can't be a hundred percent certain where that deer is going to be in that vicinity. You know, he might not be in the same spot every day at the same time in there, you know? So, but like, if you have certain things like, like, like the two bucks I killed this year, I, I kind of backtracked them into those locations, you know? So when I, I, I found those, those bucks and I tracked them back and I'm constantly doing, this basically uh, what i'm I'm doing the same thing i do when i'm scouting and i'm getting into looking looking for deer sign scouting but i'm doing it on the fly completely blind to what i'm doing you know and i'm just kind of like okay around this bend i'm like i'm constantly pulling up my maps and looking at looking at my phone looking at the terrain features and stuff it's like it's like uh it's like video game hunting in some way.
1: Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you you kind of answered my next question before I asked it. I was going to ask how do you, if you're following an a, a, a buck back into an area, how do you know when to set up versus when to keep following that sign? But it sounds like you're just constantly verifying and bouncing off and, your phone and, and looking at what you're seeing yep. live versus, okay, based on what I'm seeing here, he could be batted up yep. on this feature that's 200 yards away or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to I'm trying
0: to figure out what's over to the next hill before I get there. So I don't come over to the next hill and have them standing there looking at me. Right. You know? And like you you just gotta once you feel like you get close, you're really kinda creeping and like po- poking like a little bit, looking at your phone, making sure you're right. Yeah, like like okay, yeah, this makes sense. You're like looking at the terrain, like, okay, yeah, that's why that's there. Like kind of confirming things. It's like okay, I can get this far. If I go any farther, he's gonna he's gonna get me. You know, and you're you're like because you can see how the terrain is shaped in front of you with the maps. So as you're doing this, you got the wind blowing, and you can tell where the wind's going. And then you go okay, the wind's blowing this direction, but when it gets up in front of me, it's gonna hit that that hillside and hook. You know what I mean? So you can actually tell where the wind is gonna be going before you get there. So you can kind of like really kind of know exactly when to stop. Yeah, that makes sense. You you just push it as, push it as far as you can physically get it and then set up.
1: So you're not necessarily setting up per se on like a scrape or, or some kind of destination feature along the way. You're just, you're just thinking like this is probably as close as I can get. And I can already tell that he's moving through this general area you know, by, the, by yep. your tracking skill, so it's like okay, if he's gonna come through here, regardless of or whether or not there's like a scrape or like a rub line or whatever, like I'll just sit up here because I think he's probably better close, and this is as close as I can get. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. So it's like I'll
0: I'll have like scrapes and stuff near me, but a lot of times I won't have the scrape in front of me. I'll probably be like behind me somewhere or something. You know, I'm already I'm already past it.
1: And I'm I'm more on his trail, going to it. Yeah. What what would you say, like percentile wise, this strategy comes up with a sighting. Um, um, when I physically find a buck, when I'm backtracking, I usually
0: see him. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> I think. All, well, this year it was really good. I pretty much every deer. I every time I did it, I pretty much saw a deer.
1: Was it always the deer you were after, or sometimes it was a, a different deer? Uh, it was
0: pretty good this year. I, I mean, I think I saw six shooters, and I, I think I probably set up like that maybe a dozen times.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, well, that's, that, that's that is, that is super good. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's really good odds. Cause I've been thinking like, you know, sometimes when you hear people talk, it's, um, it makes it seem like whatever strategy that they're they're you using should be like a hundred percent, but like rarely is that the reality? I know my percentage is super low and a lot of people I talk to. it's really low as well um you're just putting the time in and you're you're playing your yeah. cards right, and you just stay diligent and stick with the process and you know eventually you do it enough, you're gonna connect. It sounds like this strategy and this method that you've been able to employ over the last few years has definitely been. You know, an above average, especially for the, the more vast type areas that you're hunting. Uh, I don't feel like that's very common.
0: Yeah. The thing is, there's a lot of days I don't set up at all. You know, so, like, there's a lot of days I just, I'll just keep walking till dark and I never find anything I want. You know, and if I don't find something I want, I'm not sitting down on it. You know, because I, if I have an hour left, that's the hour I could spend looking for what I want to find. You know, and then I can always just come right back to it the next day and keep going. You know, you're, it's like it's like you're you got you're almost you're treating it like you're you're, you're tracking deer. You know, that's because you're cause what you're really doing. You know, you're just tracking sign and deer tracks, and you know you're you're kind of following following the flow, figuring out where these where these big bucks are coming from. And sometimes it's a process. Sometimes you can get it right right
1: away. Yeah, that, that's a good point too. I started doing that more this year than I have in years past of just not setting up unless I felt ultra confident. And even to the point where I'd go, I'd go s- like several days in a row without even either getting up in a tree. Um, occasionally I wouldn't even bring my bow. I would just go out there and be like, I don't have a- like anything on lockdown. So I'm just going to cover miles and scout and put a cameras, whatever. Whereas in the past I might've, you know, it, it'd be hard to, to not hunt because there's open hunting season. Right. And you just pick the best thing you could for the day and set up, but maybe you didn't have high confidence in it, but trying to get away from yep. that more and more. Yep. And that's even like
0: when I went to Ohio this year, I did that. I went for, uh, nine, nine days this year to Ohio. Is what the trip was. And you know, like I, I just kind of, I didn't the first day I didn't set up. I just kind of kept poking around and checking spots. And then the second day is when I got that opportunity at the buck. You know, but that, it was like, it, I followed, I tracked that sign in and I set up, you know, and I, I, I screwed up and I didn't get them, but you know, it was a hundred, probably 160 inch deer, you know, it was great, great deer. Yeah. And then the rest of the week, I literally spent the rest of the week walking, you know, and then I, I finally, I set up, I set up one other time. And when I set up that time, I had a little buck come out, you know. So it wasn't it wasn't a huge buck, maybe 100 120 inches, you know. So, but both times when I finally felt good enough to set up, something came out, you know. But it's like until then, I, I'm not gonna stop until I find something that's just on fire. Like it, it's gotta be like okay, he's gotta be in front of me. You know, If you're not seeing those indications that that deer is somewhere in your vicinity, it's like, why are you stopping? It's just, it don't make sense to me.
1: Terrain-wise, you know, the, the stuff you hunt in Ohio is a lot steeper than either Jersey or Pennsylvania, right?
0: Um, there's a lot more of the features, but the steepness is the same. Like, Pennsylvania has some steep mountains. You know, in the mountains I hunt in Jersey too, they're, they're steep and they're big. I mean, the elevation change is much more than Ohio. Like, like when I'm hunting in the mountainous terrain. So like, I think, I think the difference in Ohio was like 500 foot of elevation change. But like Jersey, it would be like eight, 900 foot. Okay.
1: It's, it's almost, like 10, almost like the 10, scale yeah. is bigger and. So, like maybe, maybe yeah. in Jersey, you have one big mountainside that you're trying to yeah. cover and figure out. Whereas yeah, in Ohio. Instead of the bowl. Yeah.
0: Instead of the bowl being 200 yards wide, like Ohio, the bowl's a half a mile
1: wide. You know? But does your initial pass from an East Scouting perspective change? Or are you still looking for it in the place like Ohio? just like that max diversity in terms of both cover and, and uh, terrain.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the, what's tricky with
1: Ohio is every
0: hill is the same. Like the, every, every bowl has all those features in it. You know what I mean? So it's like to find that one little special one. That's a little bit different than the other ones is a lot more difficult, but when you do find that little bit of extra, it usually is a little bit better, but at the same time, they could be in every bowl going up the holler because they're all the same.
1: So you, you literally just got to you gotta make sure that they're in that bowl before you go in it, you know. Is there just like, no okay, substitute he, for boots on the ground in that type of scenario then? Yeah, you, gotta, you just got to go and
0: keep walking. You know, I, I try to stay, like, in Ohio. You can't, like, see tracks because the leaves are so dry up on tops. So, like, I'll just stay in the bottoms where it's wet i can pick up sign better you know i'm just i'm I'm like hunting down spots where i can see where the deer are you know so i, I gotta have i gotta, gotta find that moisture in the soil and the ground and stuff so you can you can see sign better even just the rubs you can kind of age them better when there's a little moisture on them you can kind of like gauge a little bit better on how the how old they are and how old the scrapes are you know
1: and then, are you hunting in the bottoms too? In those instances, or are you just running the bottoms to um, to purely look for sign? And then you might be once you find what you're looking for, you, you start hunting up.
0: I'm usually about. I'm usually walking the bottom. Then I'll be going up the side, maybe like a quarter of the way. Because a lot of times I'm scout. I start. I start off walking the bottoms in the morning. I'm not setting up in the dark, but I'm walking those bottoms. So when I figure I'm going to set up for a deer coming down, it's going to be in the evening when he's going to be dropping down into the bottom. Gotcha. You know, and then they'll, they'll cruise the bottoms on like wet days. Like if it's raining or something, they'll walk the bottoms. A lot of times when you get low pressure, if you get a low pressure system, they'll be on the bottoms versus the tops. You know they kind of they they chase that thermal, but it, in in Ohio it's strange because you have multiple thermals and then like the hills are so steep that you get downward thermals and upward thermals at the same time, depending on what side of the bowl you're on. so it can mess things up crazy and then the wind comes through there and s- blows hard and so I almost feel like you're almost better on the bottoms because you can get out of the wind you know you can almost kind of get out of the wind completely if you get way down low versus like if you get up higher then your wind kind of blows off the top you're skylighting yourself constantly
1: and then that wind's blowing off the
0: top and going all over the place
1: are there you know, any so if anything are, are there any tricks you think that like you additionally do in the bottoms to help you out there like if the if the wind if the primary wind is like blowing straight out like the direction that the the drainage is headed, um, or like back and right up extra creek or anything like that. You're you're almost better in that kind of place to not go in
0: <laughs> when it's bad. You almost you're better off just not not going in and blowing everything out and just kinda spending your time doing something else that day, trying to figure something else out where it doesn't really matter if you screw it up as bad. Know, if you're on a buck, so you almost got to like wait it out. Like, okay, this day this is just going to suck. I can't go in here. You know, you, you got to be a little calculated with it. And I think if you time it out better, like the later into the year, the more leaves come down, the more inconsistent and the harder that wind tends to blow once it gets colder. But like, I think when you got some leaf cover earlier in the year, I think it'll be more, a little bit more consistent. It'll kind of slow the wind down a little bit. Gotcha. So I think that's what that's what, that's the strategy I'm going to go for with this year. Anyway, I'm going to try to hit it earlier. Try it early, see if I can't get more consistency out of the place. Because consistency kills. You know, if you can't you can't get it if you can't get it right, and they're just randomly cruising and doing all sorts of, it's tough. You know, it's really hard. It's it's so much easier to kill a deer outside the lockdown phase of the rut.
1: You know, when they're just
0: on a pattern.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. And, and I, I
0: think I think the the consistency in the environment makes the pattern too. It makes it more consistent for the deer, so they're gonna kind of consistently do the same thing every day. So might be part of the reason why it's so consistent
1: earlier. And by early in that instance, I think they have an October 1st opener, right? I think they opened September or something.
0: I think, I think I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not going to go that early, but I'll, I'm going to go like the last week of October for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, just get like, got to get those deer fired up, but not so fired up that they're not going to be where you want on the bay. So let them, let them get fired up and cruise around all night long and then go back to their beds.
1: How do you, how do you know in those instances in Ohio that the deer are going to be like bedded up high and then coming down in the evening versus going up? there's not is there not much food up on top compared to down low uh there's there's food everywhere,
0: but it's just it just seems like they follow they want to go down in the bottoms at night It just seems like that it seems like they don't really spend so much time up top at night i think I think what it is is just all the the currents
1: are going down low so that's where they can smell better yeah, that makes sense and then they got the upper upper thermals during the day yep you know and that
0: they don't always bed all the way up on top in Ohio either they bed they bed like midway a lot of times I think the the wind is too hard up top it blows too too much up there, and like the wind tunnel almost it's so steep on the hills that you get this the wind coming over the leeward side comes over and it like ski jumps and then lands like halfway down the ridge before it hits You know, because I think that's where you're getting your swole from a lot of times because it's not necessarily like the sun creating your thermals in every situation. I think sometimes they can just sit in a spot and feel comfortable because the wind comes over and dumps and tumbles without even
1: using a thermal. Yeah, so it just makes hunting. It sounds like that type of place is like incredibly or can be incredibly frustrating or hard to hunt just based off of what the wind's doing versus where the deer want to be. Yeah, exactly. That's why I feel like I think I'd do a lot better if I know where the deer are,
0: you know, because they they all have like kind of like their territories earlier in the year, you know, and you'll you'll see like buck rubs down the bottom, and then you're like, well, that buck's probably going to be up on one of these one of these bowls or points coming off of these bowls or something, or a bench coming off of the, something in this drainage you know what i mean so you get this big you get that big holler going in you, he, he's like he's here somewhere in one of these
1: and you can kind of work your way through it so you, you start you would start in the bottom basically get that you know initial okay there's something in here and then systematically sort of stage or push your way through like you hunt one ridge one day then obviously using like the um, wind as much as possible to your advantage In a perfect situation, I would be able to pick up his sign
0: on the bottom, his tracks and fresh sign and backtrack them to where exactly, which one he's going up for that day. in a perfect, perfect situation. But if I, if I can't figure out where he's going, then I'll have to systematically work it, which I don't like doing because then you're kind of giving your, giving yourself away to him when he comes down and you left because it's dark. And it'll figure you out. But if you can, if you could backtrack up to where he is on the exact point and get set up,
1: then you're, then he, then you got a clean first first hit. You know. Is there a certain set of conditions that allows you to do that a little bit easier? Like, how do you, if you see his tracks, how do you know it's today's tracks versus yesterday's tracks?
0: The, the, like, like the sharpness of it. And the aging, everything has like a spring back. If they're walking in leaves that are wet, like the, the leaves are gonna spring back over a period of time. If they step on some mossy ground, moss has a spring back to it. You know, dirt dirt erodes at a certain speed. You know, if you're up on high ground, it's dry so quick that the tracks erode road within a day, and you can't even see them anymore. But if you're down at the bottom, you can. You can like look and be like, well, that track was made like two days ago. This one was made like five minutes ago. You know, like this this wet spot has mud still in the puddle. You know, so you, you can really get
1: down to it. Okay, so you, you're basically yeah. combining combining the of freshness the, of the track with within just the physical size of the impression. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, once you once you have a tier that you're interested in. You know,
1: and you you know you'll c- see where he's been in and out that bottom a couple times throughout the week. You know, do you find that they're pretty consistently going up the same like ridge system, or do they does it vary based on the day?
0: Uh, I think it, it'll shift a little bit, but I mean, they kind of like if, like that time of the year when I'm going to be going. I think they're going to be pretty territorial. So I think they'll have like their spot to start out in, you know, because normally like you'll get like a bachelor group or something living in a living in an area, and then like the biggest, most dominant buck is gonna claim that spot and kick everybody else out, you know, as the season progresses, so I think like you'll have the biggest buck take the best the best one, you know.
1: One of the things since we're on the topic of those like Ohio hills that um, I was talking with with Jake Bush about earlier in the year was in relation to the the way the sun hits some of those hills and whether or not you got like southern facing systems or northern facing systems and the difference that the light plays on like I guess how the the wind is blowing and and the thermals are working in those uh, types of hills and then that would like, for him, that was a big key factor in like early season versus mid season, like where he was setting up and like which systems that he just wouldn't spend any time in cause they were too hard to hunt or which ones he, he would try and target. Do you find mm-hmm. any level of consistency between like North versus South facing slopes or drainages and I guess what you're looking for or what you see deer using the most commonly when you're there, which is typically November? I think when it's hot, they're going to favor the
0: northern sides. And if it's really kind of getting cold, they'll favor the other side, you know, the southern side. And, like, sometimes I think they might switch throughout the day, and they might cross over the to top and go down the other side if it gets hot, too hot. If it's, like, cold in the morning, real cold, and they want to warm up, you know, and then they'll flop over to the other side to get out of it.
1: Do you think that that's. Or if, you
0: get, or if you get a bowl, a lot of the bowls there hook all the way around. So they can almost just kind of skirt that elevation line in the bowl in a circle. Yeah. And kind of follow the sun and the shade line through it. And... It's incredible the light difference when I'm out there because the hills are so steep. It's like nighttime down the bottoms in the middle of the day sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy how dark it gets down there. And like what one side it's like, the sun is burning, like
1: burning the trees down, and then the other side it's like freezing. So, initially, I was thinking, you know, hey, maybe this, maybe this thing that you're seeing is is also due to like, I guess, leeward side, right? Because if it's if it's a colder day, maybe that also is corresponding with like a cold front, like northerly wind, versus like a, a warmer you know, weather system with like a Southwest or a southerly facing wind, you know, that also kind of corresponds then with they'd be on the leeward side, but what you were just describing makes it sound like some of the just, you know, thermal differences with what the light is doing and that power of the sun is probably just as not, if not more um, of a driving factor than the wind would be. And I guess the wind would basically just be enhancing that. Yeah. And I. It's like
0: when you're out there, you feel it. Like you'll be sitting in the sun on one side, and you'll be sweating. You're like, "What? This is ridiculous." It feels like it's a hundred degrees right now. You know, you're getting sunburned. But then you get on the other side, and it's like, "All right, I'm getting chilly here. This is cold." <laughs> it's 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 the swing is so crazy out there. It's it's really unique because like like you go up on the top of the sunny side of the hill, and it'll pr- practically blow your hat off with the thermals coming up. You know, and you get on the shaded side, and it's like you could feel it, like, pulling down your neck and going into the bottom. You know, and and those up and down thermal changes really got to affect the wind current and how the wind is going through a hill, too. So it it just makes it so complex, which is it's exciting to figure it out, because if you like if you like geeking out on that kind of stuff, like you can go crazy all day trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah, for sure. One thing we didn't touch on was hunting pressure and how that might impact what your plans are. Is that something that you, you try and look ahead of time and see how accessible a place is or do you base all of kind of what you're seeing pressure wise off of what's happening during that time that you're physically out there? If there's big bucks in there, and the sign tells me they're there, if there's a ton of people,
0: I'm still going to go for them. But if, but if I could find a spot that's less less bothered and has big bucks in it
1: that's overlooked, I'll go for that first. So if you're looking at your maps and you say area A and area B both look very promising, they both have a lot of mix of of brown and green on the satellite winter imagery. They both have good elevation profiles, but area B has, you know, two parking lots and a road along the side of it. And area A has just got like one parking lot on one corner. Then are you, I'm imagining you're going to focus on the one that's harder to access for the general guy. I I would probably do that. You know,
0: I I think it would be better most of the time. There's, there's some situations when that deer is going to be there regardless of the pressure you know so it's like you can't always avoid it you know like like in new jersey if i avoided human sign i'd never find a place to sit <laughs> I, I literally every every spot has has a tree stand in it or remnants of a stand or something that every spot does you know because you're you're dealing a lot of times you're dealing with a little bit smaller blocks of woods and stuff so it's like everything's gonna have human sign in it and trail cameras and stuff so you you just got to go where the deer are going to be for that day which it's so important figuring out where they are so I don't like hunting in the mornings too much it's not the fact like sometimes it's really hard to get in to set up on them in the mornings but a lot of times it's just like why am I setting up here if I don't know if he's there you know so it's like I'd rather figure out where he is and then try to get him in the afternoon You know, and sometimes if you get really close, like, like I'm doing, sometimes you shoot, shoot the things midday, you know, you might, might get into a spot and find out you, you, that deer is going to come past you two o'clock, you know, and that happens very often. Sometimes you find a spot and you realize you can't go all the way in until the thermal switch. So you have to sit back and wait and then you, you rush in there at the last, last bit of light and get in there and set up at that, that final
1: distance. And I seem to remember last year, one of the things you had done was at one point you bumped, I think that Pennsylvania buck and then attempted a bump and dump. I imagine that, that scenario is maybe one, one of the few times where you would go ahead and set up in the morning. If you knew, okay, this deer was bedded here, uh, this, this morning, might as well start the morning off where I know he was.
0: Yep. Yep. And I did that this year too. I, I, I bumped a nice buck. I couldn't tell what he was, but I knew he had a nice rack on him. So I, I immediately went right into the bedding area, found the bed and hung my stand over the top of his bed. And then I literally, I came back in the morning like two hours before sunrise and got right up over that tree and set up right over the top of that bed. And he came in and he wasn't the shooter for me, but it was a nice deer, but it worked. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't.
1: So I'll run a scenario by you here. What if you, you, you're you doing your scouting, you're walking around, you're, you're tra- trying to track deer, and you bump a buck, let's say 1 p.m. Now you decide, okay, I'm going to go you know, attempt to just you know, hang my stand right over his bed, uh, but let's say he's bedded in a bowl where there's a lot of good diversity and, and it kind of wraps around and... It, you're sitting there the next morning and it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, nothing shows. Will you sit there through at least the time that you bumped in the day prior, just in case maybe he wasn't bedded there until later in the day. And he just kind of shifted based on what the sun was doing.
0: Generally, I feel like they come in pretty early,
1: you know, sometimes they'll come in midday,
0: but they could have came in midday because they were bumped out of a different bedding area by a different honor at the same time. You know, it might not be the actual pattern. It might have been something that just screwed him up for that day. But, like, generally, if you you run cameras over beds or,
1: like, near bedding and stuff, you'll see him come in, like, by at least 9 o'clock, they'll be in there. Right, right. But, like, back to the mule deer analogy, what if he's bedding in, like, an initial bed first thing in the morning because the sunlight's hitting there, but then at, like, let's say 10 a.m., now that place is in the shade and he goes and moves another couple hundred yards. Um yeah, he could do that. He could do that. If
0: it's if it's a spot like if it's a big betting a bigger bedding area where he's gonna move a lot more, definitely it might be worth sitting. Okay it, it's something you almost you gotta you gotta feel it out. Like if you feel like it's the right thing to do, definitely might wanna camp on it longer than normal. But if, if you feel like he's just gonna come in here and be within a, a acre or two and you'll know if he's in there or not, then if you don't show up, then you go somewhere else. That makes sense. You know, cause sometimes, sometimes they don't use the entire area. If it's a huge bowl or something, they might not bed in the entire bowl. They might just bed on a certain section of that bowl. You know, like I had a big buck this year that was using a drainage within the bowl bed and when he was in there he would bed in that drain you know so i i set up on that deer and i missed him of course but that deer i'm like i'm like he's got to be in there today i just had this gut feeling he was in there like i was gonna go somewhere else and i just kept something kept telling me go over there he's there so i went in there but when i got in there the sun was still on that that side, and the thermals were going to be pulling up into that bowl, bowl really hard. So I stayed back, and I kind of just got near it, and I sat down and waited. And once that sun started setting over the back of the hill, and the the, the shade started running down that bowl,
1: uh-huh.
0: then I stuck in. I I like pra- practically crawled in on my hands and knees down to the bottom of that bowl where there was a big big uh, like a thermal hub down there, where a cluster of scrapes were coming off of that that bed and sure enough I set up 20 minutes in that stand that deer came down was underneath my tree you know but it was it was just one of those instances just like this is gonna
1: work you know you just you just know it I feel like for me I'm getting somewhat better in that regard of like getting that that quote-unquote deer sense of like knowing um that's you gotta
0: will, eventually you gotta do it and have it work. And then once it works a couple times then you get the confidence for it.
1: Right, right. And there's definitely you been know. some there's been a couple sets this year where like I knew it was gonna happen and it did. Um so I feel like I'm I'm definitely making baby steps. <laughs> but I feel like it's one of those things, just like you said, it's gotta um the more it happens and the more you're right, then the more that confidence just kinda builds.
0: Yeah. That's it, like the deer deer program and they build they build their knowledge off of screwing up and they they go okay this i i've been here before i'm not going to do that again and they kind of learn how to do their instincts and the same you're doing the same thing as a hunter you're building your instincts by trial and error you know yeah but when you screw up you don't get shot <laughs> That's... you know so it's, it's a little bit easier you know but most deer are pretty programmed. It's not like they're some kind of mystical animal, like they're still programmed. So, like once you figure out the program, you can duplicate it because it's not. It's not like they're going to have some kind of crazy scheme to do it. They're going. They're going to react very similarly.
1: And and I guess going off of that note, are you? oftentimes year after year finding deer doing very similar things in the exact same habitat and terrain that you've found deer doing things in years past. Like let's say you killed a, killed a buck four years ago and then that helped inform like how you tackled a certain area this year.
0: Definitely. Yeah, you're like, well, this is where the big buck wanted to live last year, but I killed him. But like all of a sudden you'll like get that sign that tells you there's another big buck in that area. And then it's like, well, he's probably going to do the same thing that last one did, you know? Yeah. So you just, you got to kind of, like, it's not like the spot doesn't work every single year, but when that sign tells you it's going to work, then you go back to it. Yeah. You know, and it's, you're just, you're constantly just building knowledge, you know? Even if you're, like, scouting new spots, you're not scouting necessarily to hunt them the following year. You're just you're gaining intelligence. So when you see a a situation unfold,
1: you can predict it without having to scout it. Yeah. I feel like in areas where I don't have that annual knowledge because I maybe just haven't hunted there that long, I feel like I'm more apt or more likely to just not worry about either bumping deer or like blowing up that year's hunts because I just need the information. And once I have that information, it's like even if I don't fill a tag that year, next year my knowledge base for where to start will be so much more ahead of the game than had I just tried to play that first year really safe. Yep.
0: And it, it could just be like there was something that changed. Like it wasn't a certain acorn crop from the year. You just scouted it or something. So you're like, well, they're not in here this year. But it's like you don't cross that off and just go, oh, it was a fluke that that deer used this spot. It's like he he, ha- he had a reason why he was doing it. You just got to kind of wait until you find that reason. Yeah. You know? so like you're like, oh, it's hot now. I'm going to go there. You know, but there's so many, so many times like I wind up killing a deer that wasn't in a spot I actually scouted. But I picked up a really good sign and it was just because I... Walk into the spot and go. Well, I've seen this before. Yeah, you know, so it's and then I'll set up and I'll it'll work because it was it's the same thing. It's just the same thing, same thing in a different place. Yeah, you know, and you'll you'll see you see trends in betting. You know, you'll see trends in your area. You're like, oh, this seems like the bed the bucks fa- favor this certain thing. When I find a big buck, it usually looks like this. You know, and you can pull out a map, oh, what else looks like this? You know, know,
1: you'll find those bedding patterns. Yeah. And I guess early and late season food patterns is probably another really good example of in areas where you have food that does change pretty rapidly. You know, that could be like feast or famine. You might get on a really good food pattern one year and then you go back the next year, you can't just automatically assume that it's gonna be just like it was the year before, because if that food source isn't hot, yeah, it could be and that, dead. That's the problem you get in like these bigger wood
0: situations. It's like, it's like yeah, you got like like the feed trees or something like that, you know. But at the same time, it's like every tree is a feed tree, so it's like now what? So it's like you you just got to really focus in on what's hot. Yeah. You just really got to, it does the only way you can do it is just boots on the ground. You got to, you got to put in some effort to figure it out. You know, you got to do something, even if you can't like go out every day, like I'm going out and doing it. Like you got to do something to figure it out. Like if you got to run cameras and check them at nighttime after work or something in the dark, do it, you know, you're going to have to do something. You know, I always think about that. It's like if I didn't have the uh, option of going every day, how would I do it differently to con- consistently keep doing what I'm doing? You know, and I, I you got, you just got to find some kind of little thing you can do to figure that out. Some kind of, some kind of time spent putting some kind of effort towards it.
1: Yeah, no, those are all, all good points, and I feel like a lot of times for me, you know, cameras have sort of filled that role where it's like, I'll get out there as much as I can, but for the times where I'm not out there, you know, if that data helps me this year or helps me ne- it'll, at the very least help me next year, um, especially in the areas that aren't quite as, as big woods ish, right? Cause that the patterns are more likely to be repeated next year in re- regards to food. Uh, but especially like that late October, like that, that pre-rut and rut, it seems like, the yeah. information I've gotten from cameras, because I can only hunt, I'm, all, I'm always out there hunting, but I can only hunt one place at a time. And it seems like in a, to a certain extent, the more cameras that I have out on, on scrapes across, you know, a two, three mile area, I go back and look at the pictures and it's like, man, like, okay, I gotta, I gotta shift over. I'm going to check this place out and, you know, monitor this doe group next year a little bit closer. Cause I missed out on a lot this year. Yep. And then you're always hunting for those spots when you're
0: running those cameras that are just repeatable, regardless of the situation. Yep. It's like, no matter what is different, the deer just keep doing the same thing. You know, and those are those honey holes. When you find those, those are like, those are the good spots. You can just, every, it, doesn't re, it doesn't matter. It's just, they're going to be there every year at a certain time.
1: Yeah, and I think some of the areas that I found two years ago and have hunted this year, even with amongst, like, pretty dramatic changes in terms of logging, still, like, reproduced with some of the same bucks from last year, and I was like, okay, I get, yep. like, very high likelihood next year, you know, with a whole another year of intel and a whole nother year of, of scouting coming up this spring, like, I should have this thing like pretty well figured out compared to, you know, two years ago. And you can, I feel like you can build that knowledge base then pretty quick. Yep. And sometimes you could cheat a
0: little bit and find those old tree stands or old ground blinds that are from years and years and years ago. And you could check those spots. And sometimes even if the sign's not good in those areas, you hang a camera on them or something, you'll be surprised how many deer go through a spot like that. You know, and it's just some old timer had it figured out and he's long gone, but you could still take his information that he figured out and use it for yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I always kind of wonder, because I'll I'll definitely run into those scenarios where I'll be scouting and I'll find a spot that just looks like awesome, right? And then I'll be like looking up into the trees, trying to figure out like where I would set up. And then I see like the screwing steps that are half grown into the bark or, you know, the old tattered tree stand that's just hanging there. And it's like, okay, that guy had it figured out. Um, yeah, old old pile of rotten lumber Right, the, right The 60s And then I also, but it makes me wonder too Like, You talk about like modern day, right? What percentage of guys have not figured out And what percentage of guys are just hanging stands Like in areas that aren't good And it's like for all those old timers You'd think it'd be like the same thing Where, you know, for every one guy Who had his stuff like in really good spots Like how many stands were hung in place In areas that just weren't very good producers Maybe people didn't put yeah. as much effort into a spot if they didn't know that it was good. I don't know. I always look at the effort they put into making their tree
0: stand. You know, if they, if they spent like, if you look at it and you go, man, it must've taken them a week to carry this wood up here. You know, it's like probably was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, cause I think, I think what they would do is just kind of sit on a log until they found a good place,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of, you know, so they're gonna
0: they're they're not gonna put in all that effort into putting a stand up until they're 100 percent sure and they've hunted it a couple times and they kind of have a gut feeling it's gonna be good already.
1: Well, probably, especially for places where you can't bait. Right, I can imagine maybe a different scenario is where you got a guy who is in an area where you can bait, and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna build this fortress here, and I'm gonna bring the deer to me." Um, yeah. Which doesn't work, but. <laughs> It works for
0: about a week and then the deer figure it out.
1: Yeah. I guess it would work if you got really unpressured deer, but probably then even yeah. still not a great, you know, chance on older deer.
0: Yeah. If you have a state that's legalizing baiting and it's never been baited before, it's dangerous. Like you, you will know, they'll knock down the deer population real quick the first couple of years cuz they just have no clue it's bad. Yeah. But once they figure it out, then then it's like, all right, because that's what happened in Jersey when they legalized it in the the, the late nineties. All of a sudden, like the deer never were baited, and then all of a sudden, you could put out a fifty pound bag of corn and bring in a hundred and thirty inch buck. They they wouldn't even know any better. Like, oh, where'd this corn pile come from? <laughs> Sweet you know and for for a while it really screwed things up because everybody was just banging away and the, the the harvest rates went from like a certain number and it like doubled in one year and it's just like whoa because you could actually look at the harvest dates of uh, the harvest statistics on on for for year to year and you can see the year they started baiting without even knowing what year they started baiting because all of a sudden it just blips and goes skyrocket.
1: and yeah that makes sense but like you said then then the deer figure it out and the ones that were young had those experiences and then by the time they're old and they're not you know coming into those bait piles the same and i always I always wonder too like what what does the scenario look like in which you have a state that does have legalized baiting and then they remove it I feel like the mature the mature deer harvest probably doesn't change much in that scenario because a lot of older bucks in states that have allowed baiting probably aren't getting killed over bait but maybe the just general overall deer like harvest numbers drop. Cause guys are so accustomed to only hunting that way. Yeah. Nobody knows how to hunt. <laughs> and, and that's the problem. You run into it. Like it, it makes people lazy.
0: You know, they don't put in the effort anymore because they can just take the easier route and put it out a pile of corn, you know, and they feel like, Oh, let's do this. And it's like people, they just kind of, they forget woodsmanship completely. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of dumb the hunters down a little bit.
1: I wonder though, do you feel like in those, in the States that allow that, if you, if you're a guy who like is still willing to put in the work, are you better off in a state where there is a lot of baiting going on? Because you're like the majority of the hunters then are kind of locked into their spots versus a state that doesn't allow baiting and you're just generally getting maybe more hunter movement throughout kind of the rest of the season.
0: Yeah. Like I'll, i see that in Pennsylvania, like a majority of like the archery hunters are pretty good hunters in Pennsylvania. And like, they know where to go. Like, like you look, you you're hunting, you're hunting, like thinking you're being smart and you're setting up in the same place. Other guys are setting up. Mm-hmm. So then in order to, deer in places like Pennsylvania to get on the next level of deer over everybody else, you're going to have to do something completely special and completely different to get more consistency, which, which calls for being extra aggressive is the way I, I look at it. You know, I, I'm, I just put a lot more aggressiveness towards everything I do. In Pennsylvania, I make really aggressive moves, you know, and in Jersey, I'm doing the same thing because I'm, you know, I'm hunting, there's less of the bigger bucks. So when you find a bigger buck, they're just a completely
1: different animal. So unless you get right in
0: on top of them, like, you don't
1: kill them. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier too, about, you know, how you would scout differently if you weren't out there every day. But would you hunt, like how would your hunting change if you were, let's say you're able to hunt on average like four days, three to four days a week um, throughout most of the season? Would you still be doing the same, like, you know, just try and track them up to the their beds on any given day? Um, you just maybe less sits than you would if you were able to hunt every day? Yeah, I, I think I would just, I would, instead of killing two or three deer, I'd probably
0: only kill one deer a year. Yeah. You know, I think it would just, it's just a game of odds. You're just going to, you're not going to have as much opportunity as if you were like me hunting every single day. So I like, you're still, you're still doing the right thing. It's just going to have to realize that it's going to be a lot harder year on yourself. Cause you're just not going to see as many deer, you know? Cause like right now, like, like the amount of times that I physically see deer and the times I actually shoot them are like the days I see them, I shoot at them. You know, so it's like you go you go days without seeing anything, you know, cause you're just you're sitting there walking around figuring them out, right? You know, and then some years you get really like good opportunities setting up. like last year, I killed both bucks before I even set up. you know, it's I got on the deer, and they they came to me while I was going to them. You know, and that happens too sometimes, but it doesn't always happen. Like this year, it didn't happen at all. I, I think I had one opportunity like that this year, where I had a deer come in on me on the ground while I'm working into it. You know, last year I think I had every opportunity was like that. It just they
1: were they're moving better last year. So you just got to be prepared for all scenarios. Yeah, pretty much, and I, I think that's why.
0: Everybody's like, oh, the deer movement has been really bad this year, and I think I have the
1: solution to that. Which is just getting, like, right in their face? Well,
0: it, it's just it, – it's all game – it's a numbers game. Like, you have to – last year, everywhere across the country, everybody was killing more deer. We had a jump in harvests across – Across the country last year you know so we just had a simple jump in numbers so this year we're just simply just hunting a little bit lower population than normal so in turn I think the sign is not as good there's not as much competition over does and stuff so the bucks aren't marking as much sign up you know it's just it's just a little bit lower population than normal so I think we're looking at a little blip and that's why this year was kind of funky you know, and everybody's like blaming weather and all this stuff, and I don't really think it was anything to do with simple fact that there's just a little bit reduction in populations right now.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, and it's just kind of ebbs and flows. Like you get a poor, a poor year, whether it's because there's less deer out there, or whether you do actually get you know poor weather or whatnot, then the following year, if you get it what, yeah. especially if you get a good weather event, then the harvest once again it's right back up.
0: Yeah, yeah cuz
1: I mean last year there was there was a lot of people in the woods last year, you know. the the hunting pressure was much higher. Oh yeah, cuz all the, all the people was, who had the extra time due to COVID. Mhm. So the
0: COVID didn't kill the deer, but it kind of did. You know, it was just there's more people in the woods, more people bumping deer, more people harvesting deer you know and it just it just a butterfly effect and it all reflects on the following season so now we're just looking at a little lull yeah you know and now i think within next year or the following year it's just going to come back up and become normal again to where it was but i think it's just we're looking at just a little blip is what i feel is going on because everybody's trying to like like figure out this like ultimate scheme on why it's been difficult this year. And I'm like, I, I just don't see that there's anything
1: the deer didn't change, you know. Yeah. It just I think just less of them the to... I didn't even know that I would say it's been difficult for me this year. I haven't capitalized on a lot of opportunities that I did have. Um And and but what I mean by that is more so like I was in the woods on decent days and there was definitely like deer that were moving in daylight that had I been in the woods on those days, like I could have capitalized, but I just was never in the right spot on the right day. Like It just, like you said, it was a numbers game and if I had more sits, I probably, it just would have been a matter of time. Um, but I just never really connected like through that late October, early November timeframe. Like I was hoping to, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. Like I look at the encounters I did have, and and the deer that I did see, and it definitely didn't seem like to me it was it was a down year.
0: That's well, because you you played your cards and you you did your work, so you kind of you were ahead of it. So and and then the, the way the way we hunt, you know, the way we the style of our hunting, it's less affected than the normal average hunter, you know? Yeah. So, cause you know, both of us are way more aggressive than most guys. And if you, if you're trying to use regular tactics in a year like this, it's not going to be very eventful.
1: Yeah. Well, and plus talking about, you know, being aggressive, being mobile or, or whatever, the, the scouting that I had done, I had a number of spots kind of going into the season, but I also was out there in the summer to like keep tabs in the, the more recent logging that we had and that eliminated some spots. Um, but then like even with the in-season scouting, the best place I ended up finding, I ended up finding like on September 29th or October 1st, something like that, where I was just walking through on a rainy day, um, to go hang some new cameras in a spot that I hadn't previously walked and ended up just finding this area that ended up being, you know, the best spot, out of the entire season, you know, passed a lot of deer in that spot and had my best opportunities there at at the one I was after. So, and I, some of the guys that I I bump into, you know, they're, you'll bump into them in like September. They're like, Oh, they, they logged a whole bunch of stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, if if you would have scouted in the summer, you you (laughs) would have known that. Um, but it, it just is what it is. Yeah. And that's it. I spend a lot of
0: time right before the season checking things, You know, and I, I I really do a lot of that. Like, I don't necessarily, I'm not like looking for anything in general. I'm looking for what's going to be for the year. You know, like I'll walk through like a section of hardwoods and be like, well, this year I'm not going to find acorns over here. So that's going to tell me something, you know, okay. This section here is already starting to have acorns come down. It's like, Oh, I'm like, I, I already knew that the white oaks were raining like crazy. Before they were really raining, you know, and it's like, like cause this year we got a heavy bumper of ac- or white oaks around me, but then there wasn't much for red oaks at all this year. You know, and then w- with all the rain, the acorns that were here kind of started rotting and sprouting a lot quicker. So like that became something I didn't even have to look at anymore at, at one point. It's like, OK, now it's like not even a pattern. They're going to shift, they're going to shift out of that a lot quicker than normal. Yeah. You know, and it's just, that's, that's the hardest part is like, you can see sign that was made, but you really got to try to figure out the sign that's going to be made and try to predict the future. You know, if you can accurately predict what the next step is, you can stay ahead of the deer. You know, cause and otherwise you're just kind of following them around the whole season versus getting ahead, ahead of the game and like, okay, they're probably going to start moving into this area within the next week
1: or so. And when you can do that, you
0: can really get yourself in some good positions.
1: Yeah. It's funny you say that. I was just listening to a podcast with a guy who's like, he's not a public land hunter really, but he's, you know, small track permission, you know, managed type properties but you know say it's very similar thing where it's like he's putting out cameras to inform what he's going to be doing next year you know because the deer are going to show up a certain time um, or the patterns are going to shift and he wants to be there like with a stand ready to go set up for when that buck shows up he doesn't want to get a picture and then you know then he's behind the game you just kind of keeping that scouting loop and and keep upping your your knowledge base year after year and then you you can start to you know be in the right the right spot like before the right time happens.
0: Yep, and that's kind of, that's what I did this year with Pennsylvania because I, I was going in like playing planning on hunting Pennsylvania really hard this year, and it just wasn't panning out. Going in, getting closer to the season, I'm like, I'm not get I got nice bucks on camera, but I'm just not getting what I want on camera, and I'm like, they should be here already, you know. So instead of instead of going in there and trying to figure out where these bucks are that might not even be there, I just flooded the place with cameras this year and basically just let the cameras hunt for me, and then I went to places that I knew were higher percentage where I knew where there there's some bigger bucks in the area already, yeah, you know, and I, I kind of just kind of put it on the back burner, and it's like, I know this spot is good. Because, I mean, I killed a seven-and-a-half-year-old buck out of there last year, but I just didn't hunt it this year because I don't think there was a seven-and-a-half-year-old buck in there this year. But I think the extra hunting pressure last year gave them a little blip in the area and knocked down the population a little bit, and that's why I wasn't finding them, because I think they got shot. Because I was talking to some of the locals, and the one local – I was talking to that was getting ready for gun season. Like, yeah, my buddy shot a huge 10-pointer off that ridge last gun season. I'm like, well, that's why that deer sign isn't there anymore. You know, because I'm, like, I'm like thinking, like, I found all that beautiful sign last year, but that buck ain't there. And he was dead, you know. But there's a really nice buck in the area that's taken it over already. And I got him on camera, and I'm going to shoot him next year. He's a four-and-a-half-year-old probably 120 inches he's nice deer but next year i think he's going to blow up and become a real big buck and then i'll i'll get back on him but for this year i kind of just kind of put pennsylvania on the back burner for that area and then what i'm going to do now is i'm going to go since i can go in there and scout between now and the, the late season they got coming up i'm going to go in and check some other areas that I haven't been into yet really and just learn some new spots so I have more options. So I if, if Pennsylvania doesn't pan out in one location I have other places to go. Cuz I'm sure there was some big bucks in some other spots that I didn't hunt last year, you know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, I kind of went places I
1: need I already I already knew were going to be good in Jersey. So would you say that when you're looking at right now versus next season, do you already have kind of like a primed list for the most likely places where you're going to be able to go in and, and hunt a good deer? Or does a lot of that kind of get confirmed in the time leading up to the season?
0: Well, I kind of, I have a good inventory in that one spot in Pennsylvania now,
1: and I have some
0: really, really nice up-and-comers that have really good potential to get some good genetics, they got really good genetics, they're going to turn into really nice deer, you know, so next year I think I'll be able to hunt those deer, but it still might be slow up there next year if the population doesn't come back as quick as I want it to. So I might even just let them go one more year cause it's not going to hurt nothing. They're just going to get bigger, you know, but we'll, we'll see what it looks like. If it, if it looks like it's going to be the, the action I'm looking for in the deer so I can play the game I want to play, then I'll, I'll move into there and I'll hunt them. But if it's, but if it's kind of like not looking great, I'll just, Go to another area that I have figured out already that might be better. You know, that's why I have so many places I go. You know, because I I drive within an hour and a half of my house to go hunt, and I got public all over the place in every direction. So it's I just I I look for the the hot spots every year. You know, if I got a bunch of big bucks living over there, I'm going to focus on them. I got a higher chance of shooting one. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense yeah you know, I think a lot of people mess up like that they'll get too too set on going to a certain spot and they're afraid to just try something else you know if it's if it's not a re- if it's not working out that year you gotta you gotta fold the towel you know you gotta throw in the towel and just move
1: because every day you you're being stubborn you could be wasting time right which just kind of goes back to that you know never set up unless you're really confident if you if you have that kind of mindset then you're less likely to waste time in a, an area that's not going to be really productive all that year yep i mean and i'm sure it, you'll bite you'll bite it sometimes and be like man i should have
0: just sat over there i would have killed a deer if i sat there for a week you know but sometimes it might not work you know I'll just, I'd rather go for the, uh, the higher odds. Yeah. Yeah. There's more one way to do it. There's people that do it the other way too. It's just, I, I
1: don't, I don't have the patience for it. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely think that I'm working towards, I guess a point in time where I'll have enough options that I'll, I'll be able to go into hopefully every season, like really confident. Um, I've gotten a lot better in that regard. I feel like the last couple of years, but I've still got a long ways to go so but I mean that kind of attitude and strategy is definitely what i'm what I've been trying to employ you know more and more, just trying to continually scout to try and find plans a, b, c, d, et cetera yeah, and not, not I think just I constantly
0: out right now.
1: yeah, the other thing that I know I've done in the past that it's good and bad depending on how you look at it but i would always bounce back and forth between a lot of areas but not like really have much like annual inventory or like really pay attention to that closely i just kind of like hunt different pa- pieces of public and then just kind of hunt them for deer um and yeah then, and
0: they in waves you know yeah you get like couple of years are really good and then everybody figures it out and then somebody shoots a big buck in there and then they go in there and they shoot everything for four or five years and then there's no deer and then all of a sudden a couple of years later it comes back and then it's back to normal and then you know it's just like it's a cycle yeah you know and every block of public that you're hunting is going to be on a different cycle you know and it seems like everybody goes to the same place every year like it's like oh this spot's hot and then everybody in the county is going over there you know it's just you gotta kind of keep up on it you know and that you might you might find that a place you you hunted 10 years ago is going to be the spot where you're going to kill a giant buck next year you know all of a sudden it'll all of a sudden be like wow it got better
1: yeah speaking speaking of the uh the place I just shot my doe the other day, I went in there because I wanted a chance to shoot a doe. And I know that historically, a lot of does pile in there late season. And if I did shoot one, it wasn't going to be that far of a drag. Well, I get back in there and while I'm in there, just kind of like poking around and, and checking the sign. I got into this little creek drainage. It was just, just torn up with big rubs. Um, and it was just one of those bottom areas where it had a whole bunch of hills kind of around it. A lot of, a lot of the hills that were leading up to like private. And I'd never gone down in there before. It's just a tiny, like a a couple acres uh, of this Creek bottom area. And it was as shredded as, you know, any place that I had seen. Um, and so it's like, if I would have been more proactive and kept tabs on this place, then you know, that would have been a really great place to key in on during like whatever time period it was hot, whether it was late October or November or whenever, whenever it was good. So now that's another place where I can go and and just kind of monitor and just, it's really easy to get in get out and check it or I could run a camera in there. Right. Um, but you know, point being that was a place that because the last several times I've hunted it, like there was not really much for, for deer other than just like a lot of does. I hadn't really been paying close attention to it the last couple of years, but Obviously, that's not necessarily the best strategy.
0: Yep. And that's and that's what happened with me on that big buck this year, the, the second deer. I literally, I went out in the morning, and I checked. I bet I drove 20 miles checking spots that day, you know? And it's like, I all of a sudden, I go to one spot. I'm, like, checking it like, places that I've hunted in the past that have had good bucks in them. Because once, once there's a big buck in that area, he's going to use the same places, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, I go to this spot. I'm like, this is probably going to hold a big buck. I've never been here before. But I'm like, I just tell – just looking at it, I'm like, it's going to have a big buck up there. And sure enough, his sign was there and it was hot and it was ready to go. And I was like, all right, we'll go kill him. You know, but it was just – it was like the amount of the amount of time I spent looking. You know, I I, I try to, like – I. I spend a lot of ga- – I, I burn a lot of gas driving around and checking places. Like I'll, I'll just get on a day where I'll just get in the car and just drive around, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll drive halfway across the county just checking different pieces of public, and like I'll just go – like oh, I've scouted it here, and there's if there's a big buck on this public, he's going to be over here. And I'll quick run in the woods and run over and, and see if there's sign in there or not. And
1: if there's no sign,
0: I'll get back in the car and leave and go to the next one. You know, and every once in a while, I'll just have, like, those speed scouting days throughout the season where I'll do that and just, like, double-check everything, you know. And that's that's put me on a lot of nice deer like that. Just also, you just got to just take a day and be like, all right, today is scouting day. And that's what we're doing. We're going to find a big buck. You know, that's, that's what I'm going to do before winter bow starts. So I'll, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start checking spots and I, I know where they are. You know, I just got to find one at the live, you know?
1: Yeah. And that, that almost kind of brings up a, another, another point that a discussion I've had with a few other guys is, you know, a lot of times when you're trying to say, spread yourself too thin by, too many tags, too many states, et cetera, when maybe in reality it, it, it's better off to just, like, f- focus whatever time available that you do have on that one tag until you're, you know, able to fill it, and then you can start branching out. Um, but then you have the time to, to be able to say, like, yeah, I got enough, I got enough days in the season, like, I'm just going to scout. And you don't feel like you're under pressure to, to try and fill something really quickly before you have to move on to something else, you know? Yeah. I just I'm at the point now it's like I don't know how many like young deer
0: I can really kill. <laughs> I think the wife's getting mad. I got too many deer heads mounted. <laughs> I I kind of have to focus on the bigger bucks. So I just got to have to be more aggressive on scouting in order to do it. It seems like this year like I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and everybody that's been successful this year has had very aggressive tactics where they're like very actively scouting and stuff like that. It just seems like everyone I listen to, it's all higher success rate and guys are like knocking bucks down. They've been aggressive this year.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a good, maybe, maybe there's, you know, some sort of balance there between, you know, aggressive and non-aggressive. And that kind of comes back to, you know, again, using your gut, for whatever makes the most sense in the scenario, but
0: yeah, it's like if, if you, gotta, you if got to if you don't
1: have the intel, you got to get the intel, and the best way to get the yeah. intel a lot of is being aggressive.
0: Yep, and it's 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 one of those things like you, it's hard to be aggressive if you didn't scout enough places. Yeah, you know, you got to have you got to put in a lot of work in the beginning to get uh, a good inventory of places you can check. You know, because then you go through and you scout all these places. You might never go back to them for years, but if you know that they're going to hold the biggest bucks in this certain section of this block of public, when it's time to get, find another big buck to kill, you could just go from one to the other and just check those places. Yep. You know, because historically they're going to be in the same spots every year. Right. You know, and instead of like spending so much time in one spot, figuring it out, Like, well, maybe he shifted because these hunters are in here and stuff like that. Instead of like getting all crazy about it, just go to the next one, (laughs) you know, and it's like, oh, okay, this one definitely going to work exactly the way I scouted it,
1: you know, having enough plans to where you got something that is going to be just like, you know, just like you expect. Yep. Everything's so, everything's so dynamic
0: with deer hunting you know you had such a dynamic it's, it's such a dynamic sport you know everything's constantly moving and evol- evolving and changing so it's it's it seems like you gotta be that way anymore yeah especially with all the extra guys coming in and hunting now because i mean we are seeing a big increase on people hunting public land right now i can see it right now every place i go is flooded
1: and just with the increase in content a, a lot of guys that are newer to it or just newer to that style a lot yep. of times are are trying to employ the more aggressive you know getting into spots where five years ago there weren't guys getting into mm-hmm. and if you aren't staying ahead <laughs> of the curve then then you are getting behind to a certain extent
0: yeah. I think it's fun. I actually like having all the extra people trying to kill the deer. Little, I like it. A little ad challenge. Yeah. They get, all, they get a little upset when you drag the deer past the trail cameras and stuff, but <laughs> they'll figure it out. It's it's fun. That's that's the thing. It's like, if you're not having fun at it, then you're not going to be very successful either. You got to just enjoy it. Right. And just, it Gotta admit, it's like it's gonna suck. It's public land, you know. You're gonna have headaches all the time. You're gonna have, you're gonna run into stupid situations, you know. It's, but that's
1: part of the game. Yep, it's definitely one of the things that makes it more enjoyable. Um, and it's it's never it never feels like it's a done deal. And there's always it feels like so many things that could go wrong at any given time. And th- that definitely adds a lot, adds a lot to uh, the challenge, and adds a lot of i guess to the reward when you do already get it done
0: it's it's like sad sometimes you see like on the groups you see these people complaining about the hunting and all this stuff and blaming everything and it's like man just get out and have fun and just do it you know yep it's there's
1: it's 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 we, we could be doing a lot of worse things you know so well, Paul, I, I definitely appreciate having you on once again. Always enjoy talking deer with you. Bring a fresh perspective.
0: Yeah, it's always fun. I like talking. So,
1: so when's the next time you're heading heading back out in the woods? Tomorrow? I think, yeah, probably tomorrow. Start off, start it all over again. Find more bucks.
0: Yep. If you're not, if you don't make it into a full year's worth of work, you it's very hard to be successful <laughs> yeah definitely you always you always figure something out when you're out there you know even if you're not like super focused on it and you could just go out with the family and have fun that doesn't mean you might not find something out that day you know oh sweet I never realized this was here you know
1: that'll do it for this episode as always make sure to follow the sportsman's nation on Facebook Instagram and YouTube leave us a review on iTunes And if you're looking for additional content, subscribe to DIY Sportsman. And with that, thanks for listening.